prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? what kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Ready for another high energy episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast mm-hmm. about the ins, the outs, the highs, and the lows of making comics. I'm your host, JB, with my co host, Cam. Cam, what's up? What it do, baby? What is this? Episode 91? 91. Nine away from 100. We got to do something special for 100. Yes. Uh, what, are you, what are you thinking? I'm thinking call in show, and that'll be a bitch for you to edit. But when I say call in show, it'll just be eight mini interviews for you to edit. Uh-huh. But no, I really don't know what we should do, but we got to get cooking on that. Yeah, well, I'm open to any ideas. So yeah, um, let us know what you all want. How do you all want to celebrate? You all can be part of this as well. So uh, DM us if you have any great ideas. Yeah, maybe we should do an executive producer tier. On the Patreon, where it's like a hundred to one hundred and fifty bucks a month, and you get control of one main feed episode, and uh, you get to pick the guest, meaning you have to deal with setting up whether or not they want to talk to us, and then you get to pick a Patreon episode where we talk about whatever you want. If you are into being an executive producer, we are willing to bend the knee now mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the almighty dollar. It's a brand new year, baby. Ready to kiss that ring? WWE Chronicles hobby boxes are insane on eBay. <sighs> Retail has not hit the streets yet. I'm about to fucking bite the bullet and buy one. I'm not really going to do that, but I want to get JB one. I want to get one for myself, and I do not want to pay $50 over. So if you have a plug on those. When are they supposed to hit retail? Dude, so here's the bullshit, okay? They're supposed to be, let me just double check this, but if I'm not mistaken, like the MSRP is supposed to be $120 or $129.99, okay? They've got them next door. They've got them for one seventy-five a box. Why is that? Probably because they're just doing competitive pricing with eBay. It just dropped, so they're kind of like, "Why the fuck would we lose money on this?" Like card shops. I noticed this in twenty twenty when you would find NBA retail blasters. People were going nuts over those just because the twenty twenty rookie class was crazy in NBA. You can go get them off the shelf for twenty four ninety nine at Walmart. Take them to a card shop and in store credit, they'd give you forty or fifty bucks. And then they would flip them because right? they would flip them for like seventy or eighty. But hobby stores apparently cannot order retail exclusive boxes. So anytime you see retail in a hobby store, usually someone's gone out and got that, or it's some kind of back channel way. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, but my shop next door is uh, price gouging, and then the other shop that uh, is in town does not have them yet. Can't you just order them directly from Panini? You can, but usually they they do pre-orders and they're months in advance before you see the cards. And I just, I don't know. With these first sets for WWE coming out, I didn't want to pre-order without seeing some first. And oh, did you see okay. any of the uh, Chronicle videos yet? No, I have not. Dude, they're beautiful cards. Beautiful. Like, what they've done is, like, uh, how they have illusions. I don't know why I'm talking about this on the main feed, but... Uh, <laughs> They have like, <laughs> like the normal fucking like cards, but then they'll put in like optics and illusions. Um, so like they've made instead of doing like WWE optic and WWE illusions, you get this pack of cards with like it looks like a random pile of cards with how different each one of these cards look, and it's so fucking sick, man. This is the nicest set that I think they've done so far since moving to Panini. I think Al might have posted something about them. 
I'm sure he's got a plug, man. He works at a card shop. Shout out to Al over at Card Pros. If you are really into card talk, uh, go yeah. check out uh, Card Pros. I love that Virtual Pros like broke up and he's just like, fuck this. I'm so into cards now. It's just, I can't, <laughs> All I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All in. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you have a plug on WWE Chronicles in a hobby box, let me know because... Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, pay something crazy. Oh, real quick, since we're not talking about comics, uh, did you watch Wrestle Kingdom? I saw the Omega Osprey match. That's it. Okay. Banger. Yeah. Banger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I need to watch it. I've got a, I've got a login. I just haven't gotten around to watching the whole thing yet. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Jill's out of town, so I watched that. Uh, I think Monday night or. Did you watch it live? Uh, Tuesday night. No, I think I watched it the night after. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, pretty good. It was the first time I'd watched a, a New Japan show in like two years. And it was also the first time in a while that I felt like I was watching a like New Japan the way I remember it being. Yeah. Well, good. So yeah, really good show. And uh, hopefully they can keep that momentum up. I don't know if that's, that's going to be the case. I don't know where Kenta is. Is he just hanging out? He's not. Or was he on, not on the show at that, all? He was not on the card anywhere. I've not seen him in Bullet Club at all. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like he's just doing indies. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just like you know, they don't have anything for him, so they're like, go work, you know, keep in shape. Which is crazy to say that you have yeah, nothing for Kenta. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, uh, and same with Shibata. I don't know what Shibata's deal is. He had that one match in AEW. Man, I, with I know Orange you love Cassidy, him. and now nothing. Yeah, I love him. You love him, but you know. If they take it slow with that guy, fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry to be safety police, but you know, that guy literally almost died from wrestling. So if he only has one match every six months, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Put I a mean, helmet on him, in uh, fact. <laughs> like to not ha- have him at Wrestle Kingdom seemed weird. Was he not there? Because I saw he posted a picture with Sasha Banks. I so. think he was on commentary at one point for the, the Japanese commentary, okay. but yeah, that's it. Right, right. Interesting. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, I figured he would have done something, at least a battle royal or something. Or at least like an exhibition match or something, but no, no, nothing. Something, yeah. It was only one night this year, right? Yeah, yeah, thankfully. God, yeah, Yeah. I think we're over the two, three night events. That shit is stupid. Yeah. I also feel like the roster isn't big enough to do a two night or three night show, so otherwise... They literally have to like have AEW and Stardom matches to do two nights. Yeah, yeah. Or it's just going to be half the card is mixed tag. Yeah, right, right. So, and nobody wants that. Which which is my main problem with New Japan. Too many tags, but yeah. I, I understand that's how they do it, and that's how they preserve their bodies, so I get it. But yeah, should we uh, get into this? We already went kind of long there. Do you not want to cover this pedo dude? I don't care if we do. It's a week old, so. But he's in our <laughs> Yeah, scene, go ahead, so. Cam. Talk about the pedo guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, alleged pedo guy. <laughs> how do you say alleged in French? Alleged. Alleged. <laughs> so, um, there is a French comic artist. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing this. I have one of his books. I'll never be able to sell it now. But uh, Bastien Vives, or Vives, I don't know how to say it. But um, he had a uh, gallery set up as part of uh, Anglume. And um, there was a lot of protest because this guy's work... And to be fair, the book that I have is about him and just a relationship with an adult, not him, but a man in a relationship with an adult woman. There's no signs of this. I had no idea about any of this. But um, let's go ahead and uh, plug into The Beat, where they posted this article. Uh, a little bit older news, but this guy did put out a book with Fantagraphics called The Butchery. And um, 
yeah, there was a lot of controversy around this. So uh, the beat wrote, The Angloumé International Comics Festival is facing mounting controversy and growing public outcry and two petitions following the announcement of a Bastion Vives exhibition as part of its January 2023 programming. Bastion Vives, long known as the bad boy of Band Dessinée, is a big git, but some of his more provocative work has been criticized for promoting incest and pedophilia. Damn, I didn't know this guy was known as the bad boy, but to be fair, I guess we're not plugged into the French scene that much. But, uh, yes, he is known for a book called uh, Le Petit Paul, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, that was put out in 2018, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, I suppose. But uh, while his work has drawn critical acclaim, it looks like that book, as well as a 2011 book, uh, Les Melons de la Colère, and uh, another 2018 title, La Décharge Mentale, portray sex scenes between several children and their siblings, parents, and adult male friend of the family. Uh, one young farmer boy who appears in two of these books receives extra sexual attention from his sister and older women for his unusually large penis. Nice. So there was uh, an update to this, and this comes from artnews.com. And uh, it looks like there has been an update to this. Uh, the guy has been, he was a guest of honor and he tip, they're supposed to typically produce like uh, an exhibition of wholly original artwork and, you know, debut it and it stays up till March. And uh, there was an online petition with 110,000 plus signatures for this guy to uh, get the axe. And he has been removed, but a little bit further digging. This guy, people say we're toxic, but this guy's going nuts over in France, man. So there is a French cartoonist who goes by the name of just Emma who went viral online for a title, an online comic that is labeled here as about the invisible mental load of women, whatever that means. And uh, she has publicly criticized the comics festival as well as uh, Bastion's work. And she posted a bunch of screenshots where this guy pretty much wishes for her death. And um, this is very fucked up. But he also posted that he wished for her child to experience anal rape whenever her posts are liked on the social media platform of twitter i like that he was specific not just any kind of rape yeah so you know i'm not trying to you know make this about us but i don't ever want to hear about us being problematic and toxic again we don't do shit like this dude this dude's over there grand fucking chief of anglume and he's telling people his wild ass shit online <laughs> but yeah no he has been uh, he has been pulled in 2021, it became illegal in France to publish anything presenting a minor in a pornographic way, um, which, you know, has allowed more criticism and allegations to come out against the author. And on December 14th, the Anglume International Comics Festival released a press statement that said, quote, and this is translated from uh, French, New developments have radically changed the nature of this situation and have made it necessary for the festival to cancel this exhibition, citing threats of physical violence aimed toward the festival team, the artist, and festival attendees as the reason. The statement also said that the festival was not aware of many of the comments made by Vives, which may seem to some people to be very shocking and or inappropriate. After Vives was removed from the comics festival, he posted a statement on Instagram condemning pedophilia, rape culture, and violence towards women. He also apologized for his comments toward the comics artist Emma. I don't really buy his apology. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, you, don't, you don't think he, he's changed? Yeah, so I don't, I don't buy it. You know what's really fucked up is this guy looks like, I'm not even lying, uh, in funny pages, you know his friend that has the long hair and the glasses? Yeah, he does look like him. He looks just like him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy who says something about style or some shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Man, this looks like a joke article. He kind of looks like Andy Samberg in a wig. 
But um, this might be the first time uh, France has not protected a pedophile. Yeah. Well, hey, it's illegal as of 2021, so <laughs> wow, it's a new era. Changes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh man, good job. <laughs> good job. But they'll still protect Polanski, though. That motherfucker's yeah. not going anywhere. <laughs> nah, except to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I hope you Oscar. can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope you can uh, edit something out of that. P- peace and love if you can get something out of that story there. Uh, you think I'm going to edit any of that? Uh, well, you know, whatever works, that's fine. But uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, bad man, Bastion Veef. The bad boy is turned into the bad man mm. of comics. And um, I guess that was a couple weeks ago, but we've kind of phoned it in on uh, news lately. So there's the content you crave. Pedos. <laughs> yeah, we've also. I feel like we haven't done news in a while, mostly because we've been late. Late and on... <laughs> holidays have had us like fucked all the way up. So yeah, we're still recovering. So yeah, yeah. I had a stroke at the end of October, and ever since then, it's just been down fucking hill for the show. <laughs> yeah, I just can't recover. I didn't, I didn't really have a. If this is your first episode. I didn't really have a stroke, but uh, he yeah. had stroke-like Listen, symptoms that turned out to be a migraine. Uh, <laughs> You say that it's it's not just a regular migraine. It's called an asophagic migraine, and it's yeah. uh, there's an uptick in them, uh, and also other neurological issues post COVID in a lot of patients. Right. So this is probably yeah. going to morph into something that's going to kill me, to be honest. But um, <laughs> you know, I'll keep you updated on the show. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, we're all fucked. Like it's not just yeah, you. for sure. We collectively sure. are fucked. Of course. All right, so let's do some shout outs. We got some more books in the mail. Uh, yeah. Cam, what do we get? Alrighty, so yeah, as always, if you want to send us comics, we will shout you out on the show and uh, make posts about it on social media. We appreciate all of our listeners sending us stuff, really good stuff in this batch. Uh, first up, indie comics legend Kevin Budnick uh, sent us a whole year's worth of uh, diary comics. Uh, it's okay to be sad. It looks like, I was looking through these, and uh, it looks like you get these by subscribing to Kevin's Patreon. So you can find Kevin online at Kevin underscore Budnick and uh, support him at patreon.com forward slash Kevin Budnick. Uh, Kevin's a friend of the show. We should honestly have him on uh, at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. reason why we haven't yet. It's uh, weird we haven't had him on yet. Yeah. yeah so uh, look forward to an episode with Kevin whenever we figure that out. All right. And then we also received from Fran Lopez... Uh, we also have from Fran Lopez, Must Be Happening, uh, a black and white comic. Looks like this was self-published. Yeah, self-published, uh, two stories in it. Really nice little uh, added production value with like a glossy overlay. It is available from uh, Domino Books, uh, who's been on the show before. And you can find Fran online on Instagram at Franifer Lopez, uh, F-R-A-N-N-I-F-E-R Lopez. Uh, definitely a good comic. I really liked the first story a lot. Uh, second story was good as well, but uh, that first one's a, a heater. And then from past guests and friend of the show, Evan Salazar, they sent over a copy of The Ballad of Plain Jane Walker, uh, Things to Come, uh, as we uh, all patiently await Rodeo number three. Yeah, uh, in the comic, Evan says that a version of this story will show up in Rodeo 3. Um, it was an exclusive that I think was only available with his t-shirt uh, that just recently went on sale. Um, but he was nice enough to send us some copies. And uh, Salazar is cooking. A lot of action in this comic. That uh, Not to say there wasn't action in Rodeo, but Rodeo is more of like a quiet mystery in the first two issues. And this one's got him branching out and drawing a lot of action scenes with like bank robberies and shit at fucking rocks. Yeah, so go check out Evan if you haven't already on Instagram at Evan underscore Salad Bar. 
Yeah, and then uh, we also have from Ryan Brosmer at Awful Quiet on Instagram, a new comic, Rain Down on Me and a zine, Y2K Part 2 Cyber Games. Uh, Rain Down on Me, I got a chance to read. He's uh, taking the Peanuts crew, and uh, there's a mech Snoopy. So if this sounds up your alley, definitely go ahead and give Ryan a follow at Awful Quiet. I know he was doing a uh, webcomic over on his Instagram. And he also sent over a, uh, a little note. Hey, Cam and JB, here's the new shit. I've got a bigger, full-color book coming in the spring. Thanks and stay gutter, Ryan. Then we also have Juan Lara, who sent over a bunch of comics from their uh, back catalog. And yeah. it looks like some drawings. Yes, uh, he sent over a bunch of zines, Crap the Cat, Jalapeno Business, Odd Goblins, plus a lot more. And then two original drawings, one of Dusty Rhodes and one of Flair. Nice. And you get to pick which one you want on the show, and I'll oh, put it in your wow. package to send. So you know what? One... Surprise me. Just surprise me. Okay, okay. I'll surprise you. Um, I'm going to give you the problematic Ric Flair, so when somebody <laughs> comes over your house, they'll be like, wow, look at this guy. Sex offenders, they're the best wrestlers. Yeah, and they're no longer allowed in France. Shout out to France. <laughs> Juan did uh, send us over a note as well. Uh, hey, Cam and JB, here are a few of my new books. I hope you dig them. Also, I've put in some OG art for you guys. Thanks for all that you do. The podcast is great. Juan Lara. And you can uh, find Juan on Instagram at Juan Lara, J-U-A-N-L-A-R-A, three, but the number three is spelled out. So at Juan Lara three. Yeah. So uh, thank you everyone for sending over your stuff to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, And of course, if you want to send us anything. Yeah, just DM us on Instagram at gutterboyspod or send us an email at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com and we'll shoot you an address to get us stuff over to. Yes, uh, we do have a message from one of our great sponsors. Who will be on the show soon. They're supposed to be on this episode, but if you saw online, uh, Avi from Silver Sprocket was posting about how their retail space flooded. Unfortunately, they are behind on mail order because they've had to take what was salvageable from the basement and move it upstairs into their retail space, and everything's kind of just crazy for them right now. Uh, That said, one way that you can help support Sprocket at the moment is uh, Avi has launched a digital download store that you can check out. Every single Sprocket title is available in a PDF format, so you can check it out on your phone or your tablet, your computer, wherever you check out digital comics. And, um, yeah, definitely, you know, check out some comics there at store.silversprocket.net. And, uh, you know, we appreciate the support, Avi, and uh, we look forward to having you on. And, uh, yeah, help out Silver Sprocket, people. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be joined with our guest, Eric Schneider Gutierrez, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Meow. Meow. Sid the Cat Magazine is out now. If you've ever been to an amazing rock and roll show and thought, I wish I could experience this moment again, but in comic form, then Sid the Cat Magazine is for you. Fiercely independent show promoter Sid the Cat have joined forces with comics journalist Andrew Greenstone to bring you an ongoing publication that documents the SoCal indie rock scene. This stunning 52-page full-color magazine features comics, articles, photos, and illustrations from a rotating cast of local illustrators and writers. It's a celebration of Sid's artists and venues and supports those keeping the bleeding edge of the indie music scene alive. Our first issue covers musical artists Big Thief, Illuminati Hotties, Mike Kroll, Fucked Up, Finn Lilly, Katie Kirby, Kate LeBon, Cursive, Christian Lee Hudson, No Win, and so many more. If you are a fan of comics, indie music, zines, rock reports, or community by the way of culture, order a copy now at sidthecat.com forward slash sid dash zine. Again, that's sidthecat.com forward slash sid dash zine. 
What do a pair of deadly assassins, a beefy pile of roided up high school football players, a zombie outbreak, huge dragons, and a himbo barbarian have in common? You can find them all in the upcoming pages of the Santos Sisters. That's right. Ambar and Alana are back for more gripping adventures. Once again, offset press printed in full color on your favorite decadent newsprint. Prestigious publication. The Comics Journal. Love the first issue. Calling it a highly entertaining comic. And Katie and Sally from the Thick Lines podcast called it a masterpiece. And more than they deserve. And who are we to disagree? The Santos Sisters. is available now. Don't miss out. Ask your favorite comic book retailer to add it to your pull list today or find it online at santosisters.com. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org, promo code GUTTER. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is GutterGang. loves underground comics everybody loves underground comics and if you know people who don't love underground comics and only read the mainstream comics immediately report them to your local comic book store and find them with copies of clusterfucks comics clusterfucks comics is a black and white underground anthology comic zine featuring some of the best underground comics creators today creators like cameron zavala eric jasek brian judge miguel aguilar adam yeter jason cavelli umberto tonella anna peterson tony de pasquale Drewby Hall, and so many more. Issues 1 through 4 are available now, with the fifth issue debuting in early 2023. Purchase your copies today at clusterfuckscomics.bigcartel.com. And that's comics with an X. Clusterfucks Comics. Comics you can clusterfucks with. Morning, Gary. Morning, Mary Ann. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Marianne. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois, like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean, and Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs's Tavern. 
Well, ain't that something? Town and County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town and County on the internet at storeenvy slash alexnallcomics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Marianne. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated wasteland? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKegel.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. Welcome back from the break, and we are joined with our special guest for today, comic creator, small press publisher, and all-around good guy. All the way from Seattle, Washington, we have Eric Schneider Gutierrez. What's up, Eric? Hey, everyone. What's up, Jamie? What's up, Cam? We've talked about really easy press, or at least mentioned it quite a bit on the show before, but for folks who aren't familiar, could you tell them about really easy press? Yeah, sure. I was uh, living in Chicago, and... uh, I was making my own comics for, for a while there. And mostly just like little quarter sheet mini comics on uh, like a laser printer. Hell yeah. And so so I took like a, a class for Resograph printing. And it was at like a, I can't remember where it was at. I think it was like a advertising place that happened to have one. And so they were doing like classes. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool. So I like started keeping an eye on um, machines on eBay. And I ended up getting a super good deal on one. And, uh, it was through a, 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 like a company called only great copiers, which has like, is like notorious in the resograph scene for being just like so unreliable. That sounds like such like... a shady business name, only reliable <laughs> copiers. <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a fake business. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it was, it was like, uh, some guy, I think like down in like Florida and, uh, half the time he would just like ghost people after they bought machines, but I was totally unaware when I when I like bought one. But it actually turned out to be real, which was great. Um, and then I did try to buy something from buy some like extra drums from some other time, and I ended up having to like <laughs> threaten with like legal action for him to finally like cough up the the drums. It was it was pretty funny, but yeah, he's essentially like deny listed on in the entire you know like. Rezo community like no one will do business with him anymore because he's just like 
ghosted some of the people. But anyway, yeah, I, I got hey, a shout track. out to Only Reliable. What's up? Yeah, are they still around? <laughs> do you know of? I I don't think so. I don't think so. It's okay. uh, it, it's yeah. I I mean maybe I don't know. I haven't checked because you know no one is even looking to to try to do business. It's been a while. It's you have been to write to a like, PO box still probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's been I've had I got it like probably. 2013 you know it's been a while since i since i bought it so and then i pretty much had the same drums for for a long time but yeah so i i I picked that up and kept making my own comics and then i remember just being like i have this thing i gotta i gotta use it it's the thing about rezo is that like if you don't use it often the ink dries in the drums and oh shit uh, okay and it becomes like harder and harder to like get a good print so if you're not printing often it's just it makes it makes printing harder so I was like, it'd be cool to start printing for other people. And so I honestly, I think JB was the first person that I ever printed and published a book for. It was uh, it was like a kaiju uh, drawing book. I think it was like a like a Inktober or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you all link up while you were in Chicago, I guess? Or how'd you all meet? Yeah. Yeah. I met JB in Chicago. Um, my spouse knew john bailey who makes wage slaves okay yeah yeah nano death yeah, lord baelish yeah. yeah lord baelish papa and papa baelish now <laughs> yeah they worked at uh they worked at blick together like years ago and okay. so i was i was at a comic show and uh, i think jb was tabling john and um so that's kind of how i met everyone i got and you. then yeah and then we we threw so I published that and we threw some events in Chicago when we were there. Um, they were called Token. They were at uh, like an arcade bar that was there. And so. Oh, you, you were the organizer of that show? Yep. Yeah. I've heard of that yeah, show. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Yeah. We, we did six of them and we actually did one of them after we moved to Seattle years later. And uh, it was just so stressful to like <laughs> attempt to organize something <laughs> from Seattle in Chicago. Oh, so you yeah. did it in Chicago. You didn't do it in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Damn, it yeah. Was, that's crazy. It was tough. Yeah. A lot of love relying on people people that worked at the bar that we that we that we threw that so yeah so we, we ended up stopping i think we're, we're, we're gonna look at like finally bringing it back over here maybe under a different name or something like that but uh yeah in seattle now but yeah lived in chicago for like eight years but yeah it, it kind of became it was, it was pretty natural progression you know like just like transitioning from making my own stuff to like publishing friends and then slowly through word of mouth meeting other people you know and yeah just kind of growing there's there is a limit though because i <laughs> i want to keep it small so right. <laughs> i have to say no to to people which is tough i hate saying no to people but it's just like there are times when i'm just like i'm doing this all by hand and right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like and, i mean you've got I a regular have... day job too you know like this isn't this is <laughs> totally. a passion project very much so yeah i have to be honest with myself i feel like every time before like before short run this last year i was like Oh no, how did I do this to myself again? Where it's like three weeks ahead of time, and I've got like four or five books that I'm trying to finish at the same time because they all wanted it to <laughs> coincide with, with Short Run and debut yeah. Short Run. And I was just like, I have to be more honest with myself because that, yeah, I just like don't have the time, but I still want to keep doing it. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a tough decision. You know, it's, of course. there's so many times when I just want to like throw up my hands, which I feel like is like a common theme of this, uh, this podcast where you're just like, maybe I should just stop doing this. And <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to just like, I just want to sell this Rezo and rebuy like a small little laser printer and, and start making little quarter sheet minis again, because it was just like 
so much more manageable, you know? For sure. So, I mean, I do want to get into your actual comic work, but I guess I want to try to keep it fragmented where we talk about, like, the publisher and then we move on to, like, you know, your actual work. But, you know, you did kind of tee it up there where you were kind of implying, you know, not necessarily that you're at a crossroads, but, you know, maybe at a a point where you're like, okay, well, we got to kind of figure out how we're going to do this. So what are your plans for the future of Really Easy? I mean, you know, you just put out a few books there, like you mentioned. I mean, is that kind of all you have like on your plate right now? Or are you planning ahead? What's going on with the future of that? We've got a few other books planned. There's one that was postponed for a while. Uh, JB introduced me to Jen Woodall in Toronto. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I was going to do a book with them in like, it was like last year, like a year and a half ago. But they started working on Space Trash. And so we, we postponed it for, for a while. But we're going to... Uh, debuted at TCAF this year. So that's like, that's a big one. Very soon. And there's been some interest in that. So I'm like, I'm saying, yeah, sure. I'll do like a six, 700 book run, which is like twice as big as anything I've ever, you know, as any edition I've ever printed before. Yeah. And like the idea that like the logistics of just like making all of those by hand uh, is, is pretty intense. It's, it makes me want to cry. So um, (laughs) yeah, I can only imagine how you feel. The, the benefit is that it's at a size where I can like, you know, this is getting technical, but like I can fit like eight pages on a single piece of paper. So I'm not like I'm not like using tons and tons of paper. When I printed the the last issue of 666 that you're in cam, it's like nine spreads plus a cover. And so I've had, like the stack itself of books, like of just like paper mm-hmm. before it becomes books is like, a, you know, like a meter high. And it's just like so daunting to look at. You know, I'm like, oh, this is this has got to get collated and folded and, you know, scored and the covers folded. And then I have to <laughs> staple all of these and trim all of these. And I'm really into like all the, like the finishing touches, you know, like oh, bagging yeah, and yeah. stickers and stuff. And that adds a bunch of time to, to making stuff. But I just, I love the details when it's done. It's, I think that's the thing that makes me the happiest about publishing is like putting together something that actually feels this is kind of a slight at myself. It feels professional, but, you know, at least I know it's not. It's- well, I think you've done a good job of doing that because, I mean, I feel like your books are like leagues ahead of certain other books in small press. And that's not a dig at, you know, how, you know, means of production for anybody at all. I just think that, you know, you can always just tell when something has that, you know, more refined, you know, feel and look. And I think that's something that you've kind of nailed down. You know, you know, when you have a really easy book, it's kind of got this really nice, like uh, singularity to it, but in a good way. Yeah, that was something that when we started, I was like, well, if this is going to be something I'm doing out of my job, like, I should streamline things a little bit. So we only print at like three sizes. They're all the same, like two to one ratio. So it's like four by six. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, two to three. Yeah, four by six, five by seven and a half and six by nine. So they all kind of like fit together nicely. But it allows me to, you know, like have templates and things like that to streamline everything. Like there's a lot of repetition involved. So I'm never like doing all of the work to set up a book, be, like going, okay, this is like a completely custom size. How do I have to do margins here? How do I have to, you know, like what size do I need the files at? You know, it's, it makes it a lot easier to just have these like templated, you know, predefined sizes. It's like, okay, everything gets rounded corners. Everything gets the the cover lamination. And it's nice. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did that. I saved myself a lot of stress. Well, and that's something you kind of like figure out by just doing it, you know, like you streamline your process. I'm guessing it took you a few releases or even, you know, a few you know times doing it for yourself to be like, oh, hey, if I just, you know, confined to this fucking set of rules, 
this is going to be a lot easier, but also look cool at the same time. Yeah, totally. You know, and uh, again, it started with JB, you know, it, yeah, yeah. That, that first book, I think we did two editions and one of them was, you know, not laminated. I don't think the corners were rounded. And then like the second edition was on different on like yellow paper with, with the laminated covers and the rounded corners. And so it was like part, like, sorry to, you know, totally swoon over JV right now, but, uh, oh, yeah, it's it okay. like, he's a cool guy, <laughs> but yeah, it was, so it was like a lot of work with JV to, to try to, you know, figure out those things. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been crazy to watch really easy develop over the last what has it been six years five years uh, something yeah, like that since, since like 2015 i think is when it became pretty like more official yeah 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 damn yeah so seven years <laughs> fuck <laughs> fuck <Yeah. Right>. <laughs> <laughs> hey why the name uh, really easy that's my last question so easy was the original name it was just easy press and that was because my you know my initials were uh eas mm-hmm. growing up and that meant that I worked at a pizza place and my nickname at the pizza place was Easy. Okay. And this is like, I've, I feel like I've never told anyone that why it's called Easy Press. But yeah, so it was Easy Press, but then it was impossible to find anything online for like a website or anything. It was like, I had to go to like, you know, like the domain names that were like, you know, like stupid domain names like dot .top and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's what we have. So. Subtle dig, I know. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> hey, that somebody bought us that, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh man, I feel terrible now. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, in order to just like have a have more options available, just threw in really on the front. I don't know why it, I was like trying to consider like other things, and I was like, you know, really easy sounds great. Also, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You just make a decision, you go with it. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, it's probably influenced too a little bit by uh, perfectly acceptable in in Chicago. It's uh, I guess it's a pretty similar scheme. Yeah, synergy there. Yeah, hell yeah. So as of twenty twenty three, who's who? Who are your 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 guys? Your roster? Mm. We got Jen. We got Jen yeah. Woodall. Yeah, I just yeah. So Jen, I, I mean. I'm going to keep doing the 666 horror anthology, which I guess yeah. is like been part of the the main roster. You know, so I've already I've published Cam and JB in both of those issues. But there's some folks out here that I, I really like. Like the, the last issue, Myra, Lara was was like really fun to work with. And uh, I worked with someone in uh, Andy Gregg in Chicago. They did the inside job story in the last 666. And they, it was okay. amazing. And that was actually their first comic that they have they've ever made. Um, wow! So what they, was their story? Uh, Just like a illustrator? Or? Yeah, they're illustrator. They you know they they uh, run a design studio and uh, they do a lot of like show posters too. Okay, okay. And they're always like they're the kind of show posters. Like I'm like, how is that Rizzo? You know, it's just insane. Yeah. And so I had met him through some some other people and I was like, hey, would you ever be interested in, in making a comic? So it's fun. Like, I feel like that is part of the like the goal of Really Easy Press, too, is to like, I really want to find people who have like never made comics before. I've, hmm. It's happened a couple times and it's fun to sort of like force that out of people. And, um, and the other thing, too, is I think and honestly, there have been some of our best sellers uh, that like sold out immediately were, were people that like, oh, I'm like dabbling in comics. I've or I've never published or I've never used Rezo before. And so like um, some folks in Toronto and I did this book, Rolling in the Key by Jamie Barker. And that was like 
I think that thing sold out in like three days after I after I published it. And I yeah. they, they, it's like such a strong online presence that it was like really, really fun to, to make. It was like an interactive book, too. So, yeah, it's it's really fun. Like, I feel like the the one of the sort of the main goals when I started it was, you know, going to shows and seeing people who who had this thought that like Musograph was incredibly prohibitive, you know, like mm-hmm. cost prohibitive. It was like too difficult. And so I really wanted to like work with people who would were interested in had a fully fleshed out idea that they wanted to um, put together and also encourage them to, to flesh out an idea. I think sometimes I'll, I'll see things that I'm like 75% the way there and it just needs some finishing, some like editing and some like guidance. And I, I felt like being able to provide that was, was definitely something I was, was excited about, you know, definitely influenced by my, my spouse, Christine too. I, she's like very adamant and, and interested in, in mm-hmm. making art, and Rizzo and things like that more accessible to people. Because ultimately, it's so weird to me that Rizograph is this, like, I don't know, this reputation of being so expensive, but it's, like, the reason why it was made was to be this, like, cheap, economic, and, like, environmentally friendly printing method. Like, it's supposed to be crap. You know, it's... Right. Like, the, the whole point. So the idea that it's, like, this, like, super nice luxury art book thing is so silly to me like i know i'm making nice books but i feel like i'm i don't know well i do kind of want to follow that a little bit because i wanted to bring that up so is it a misconception or are these printers just like hey it's kind of a gimmick at this point so we can charge more because i do feel like you know the history is you know churches just had them in the basement so they could you know print sun you know thousands of sunday sheets you know every week Mm -hmm. and it wasn't you know expensive for them but then you know now you've got some printers who is it more expensive because the machines are going away is that a you know a myth you know, what? what's the deal there? I think it's like when people try to do something that's not what the machine was meant for. So like there are people making these like really like tons of labor, right? Going into mm-hmm. making a like six color book that has, you know, um, spot varnish and like it's perfect bound. And so, yeah, like when you have a, a machine that's meant to crank out like one, two color prints, you know, thousands of them and you're doing something you're doing like six passes through this machine and you know, like that's so much work. And yeah, like if you're doing that much labor, like you have to charge a lot for that. Cause then, mm-hmm. you know, how are you making back any of your money? And so I think that's like, it's like working against the grain. there. I think there's like, just because it's made with something that was meant for cheap labor doesn't mean that like the art or, you know, the, the publication that came out of it isn't like, so like this, this, incredible feat of of art and and right. like paper engineering and stuff like that so it's like i don't want to discredit the people you know making really insane things on on rezo it's just like that's working against the grain i think that's why it becomes so expensive you know if because if, like at the same time do you remember oily um yeah oily yeah comics? forsman's yeah forsman's stuff like yeah. that was that was one color rezo and you know that stuff was a buck. Quarter, he was charging a buck yeah, a book. Quarter sheet minis. That's what, like, because it was, each one of those comics was one 11 by, 11 by 17 piece of paper. Yes. And you okay. print it double-sided and cut it up into a 16-page book. I mean, I feel like that is, like, true Rezo at its at its core, you know, just cranking out high quantities of one, two-color, maybe, uh, books. So, you know, like, that's, like, the two sides of Rezo there, where you have, like, one side making these, like, super fancy books, and then the other side doing pretty quick, more like punk scene type type things. But I think it's just what people want to use it for. I, it's, I think that's why I like it. You know, I, 
I was very open on my website for a while. I was like, yeah, you can print a book four colors. And now I'm like, do I really want to do another four color book? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like having to go through for another pass is because my machine does two colors at a time is just so much more work. It's like so much more planning and prep and everything. And so like that was one of the things I wanted to get back to with um uh with the 666 anthology was like just doing a two color book. I can do it in one pass. Like it was a lot of work to make those, but to print those, I mean, it was like two days. It was really quick. So we've talked quite a bit about uh, the work that you've published for other people, uh, artists and creators whose work you believe in. Let's talk about your work. Uh, you've had an ongoing book going on since I've met you, and I'm imagining that's going to be collected at some point as a as a proper book. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I was working on one called Form in General. It started, <laughs> the plan was to have it done in a year. And now I've been working on it for like six years. Hell yeah. Is it because, <laughs> it was, is that, just to interrupt, I'm sorry, but is that because it's grown or is it because you're just taking a little longer with it? I think it's because it's grown, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, so it started as very much inspired by those like oily comics. It was a 16 page, one color mini comic. And I wanted to do 12 of them in a year. And I think I made it about seven months. And so I did seven of those little, those little comics. And then life, you know, I was just super busy. And so I kind of fell behind. But also I wasn't really getting the traction I wanted on them. And they were like coming out so fast and you got to collect all of them. And I'm, I'm like learning a lot through Form in General about like how people react to serialized stories. You know, like if they're going to buy one and I'm on, you know, six issues, like, well, they want a pack of, of six, you know. So I have to be like dedicated to like, reprinting old like, mm. older things i gotta like keep up the the everything so people can get get like a full set but then it was on orange paper with just blue ink which was cool but it didn't have really like a ton of <laughs> visual interest to it but i could make one of those books and you know pretty quickly so christine my, my spouse was like you know you should you should try out other colors so i like collected it so that it was i also got some feedback that because there were small issues that it was hard to tell there's not a lot of context it was like where where are we right now and you know what's the setting for this scene and how much time has passed between these issues so that those like pieces of the story that kind of like link them together so i colored each page using uh three colors for like a three three color rezo print and collected them into um, like 40 page issues. So it was like two issues plus all of the context and and sort of like pages that, that more smoothly transition between scenes. And so it was about 40 pages each issue. And so now I'm four issues. I'm working on the fifth issue of that. And so I'm getting now I'm now past the original pages that I had uh that I had drawn um, oh, when I was doing the like little, little mini comics. And so it's like drawing all new pages uh, for like the core parts of the issue. But it wasn't like I was just like recycling old stuff. I was like updating things and adding new pages. I added an entire issue, new issue to the beginning of it to sort of set the stage. And it was, it was fun. Uh, I'm really glad I made that change. I made it so much more fresh in my mind and I'm more excited about the the images and the way they look. Someone someone described form in general as looking like uh, uh, kids' bed sheets, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. I, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, yeah, it was just because of how vibrant it is. It reminds me of those like Super Mario bed sheets that I had. When right, I was a, 
a little kid. And, uh, you know, the other experiment with it was like to draw a comic without borders. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when I started it, I was reading a lot of Patrick Kyle and, Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. And so I was just like, Oh, I'm going to do something without borders too. And I had never really done that before. I also really like drawing at the size that I print. Mm -hmm. It feels so much more like the thing that I'm drawing is the final piece of art. And, so your form um, in general originals are small then. Yeah, the the originals okay. for form in general are just little four by six pieces of paper. They're really tiny. Okay. That's why it's like really easy to make pages and move on. But it's a quick read because of that too. Right, right. I also think that's why I went from the 16 page issues to the 40 page issues because you just get more story. I feel like you're, you're going to leave the issue with like more of a sense of something that happened. Rather mm-hmm. than these like really quick little 16 page issues, which I feel like were just sort of bite size scenes that they didn't really add much to to what you were, you know, to the like story <laughs> in terms of moving it forward. But yeah, it was super fun. I, I really I'm, I'm excited to finish it up. Basically, I'm done with the whole setup and the last three issues are just a ripoff of the Dread movie that came out a while back where they have to fight from the bottom of a tower all the way to the top of a tower. Oh, like the 2015 or whatever dread. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see that one, but I need to. It's it's uh, I mean, I liked it. I don't I think it got like mixed reviews. I, I thought it was pretty great. Um, yeah, you, can, but I also, you can't go off the reviews on that kind of shit, though. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just like fun. I love that sort of microcosm of a movie where they're like in this like high rise and the like drug lords at the top level and, you know, Dread needs to make it from the bottom level to the top level. And there's just like a new challenge at every floor, basically. Of course. Yeah, that's and that's like kind of the idea game. for like, yeah, totally. It's it's definitely the idea for the the last three issues, which is I'm pretty excited for because it's just the first four was all just setting up characters. And yeah. now I kind of get to lean into like who those characters are. And I'm definitely influenced a lot by video games. So like each character has like their particular weapon and expertise. And, you know, I, I tried to create characters that were all sort of visually different from one another. So I'm really pumped for it. Um, I think this is where the, the story actually moves pretty quickly and, and gets pretty fun. But yeah, I'll definitely collect it when it's done. So you said the last three, like, are you done with form in general after these last three? Yeah, part one I think will be seven issues, and then I'll then I'll collect it. Part of the joke was that when I made the originals, every sixteen pages had to end in sixteen page issue had to end in a uh, cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and so even the last issue ends in a cliffhanger. But I have no idea if I'll do it again. Like maybe if it, maybe <laughs> if like I collect it and it sells well, that'll be great. But I have like no in, even though it's a cliffhanger, I have absolutely no intent of of continuing it once I'm done. So that rocks. So it'll feel like a canceled series. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I love there's a there's this POW book, Internal Affairs, uh, I think the third one. And I love it when at the end of the of the comic, there's like a fake credits roll and like a flake fake like lens flare on the logo. It's like so good. It the book ends like a movie. And I've been I don't know. I've always thought that that would be such a cool idea. And then when I was reading it and they did it, I was I don't know. It's amazing. Totally recommend it. I love that book. What was the book? You said Powell? No, it's it's Powell Press, but it's the name of the book is Internal Affairs 3. Oh, okay. Pa- oh, oh, I think I know the one you're talking about. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it's, a, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, other than that, I think the only other sort of series that I've been working on, I guess there's two, but um, I was working on Daikaiju Team Alpha with, uh, with JB. We did course, this yeah. like 
uh, collab book and love that. JB was visiting for a short run and we were talking about uh, continuing it, finishing up. Um, I think we'll do like two more issues of it. It'll be slightly bigger issues, but I just got to make time. I'm yeah. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> you're both busy. here, so I want to talk to you both yeah. about that kind of, yeah. you know, split duties on a book. How do you all work together? You know, like what's the process like? Do you all both write? You know, you kind of alternate pages in that series, um, but they're all it's pretty fluid. You know, um, JB's drawing the mech stuff. You're drawing the internals. Well, actually, JB yeah. was drawing some of the internals as well in two. So how does that work, though? You know, the partnership. Well, because most of the time, you know, it's divided. Well, not most of the time. Traditionally, it's divided. You know, you've got your writer and you've got your artist, but you all both split art duties. And I don't know who writes it. So we, we both wrote it. Um, I think we met up just like in Chicago. This is before we both moved and just like sat down and wrote it was like very high level scenes like in this scene this happens in this scene this happens and then mm -hmm. we for the first issue we were like okay well this first scene is what do we think it's like four pages yeah sure it's four pages and then like this next scene you think this one's eight and sure so it was like ended up being that the first book was a four eight eight so it was like okay i see and it just sort of worked out that they were like inside and outside scenes um and then the same thing kind of happened for the for the second, I think that was like eight, eight, four or something. And so the first issue I drew, was it me? I think I drew 12 or no, I drew eight for the first one. And then JB drew, you know, 12. You, you get it. Like we kind of just split up. So it was like definitely by like scene. We both wrote the story together. So we like, once we had a general outline, we kind of just sat down. We're like, these are the plot points that like need to happen in this scene. But other than that, it was pretty much like you get to write the dialogue for your scene, you know, like as long as the particular plot points happened, we were kind of cool with whatever came out of it. It made it really fun because it was just it wasn't like I was, you know, anything was too prescriptive. You know, it was just, yeah, it felt a little bit more natural. And I think writing it was relatively straightforward because, you know, Eric had, I, I think Eric was the one that put together the team the cast mm -hmm. and you know you you design the characters and we kind of settled on you know who they were individually so that made writing those characters a lot easier when it came to dialogue yeah yeah i mean they're even if they were one-dimensional it still gave like a jumping off point for us to start developing them right i feel like we went pretty quickly through running the story <laughs> together uh <laughs> we sat down like one day and we we're like okay yeah that's the story for uh yeah. for the first two issues <laughs> yeah. yeah which just comes to show how important writing is uh, <laughs> shout out to all the comic writers <laughs> <laughs> so are you all planning any future issues or collaborations yeah we've we've got i think let me we talked about collecting those first two issues originally they were they were actually supposed to be one issue the first mm -hmm. two books um sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna spill the beans but yeah they were they <laughs> i think were we had like six to... issues planned yeah yeah totally but that was only after because they were all going to be 20 pages but originally we were like okay we we're gonna do like this one 40 page book and then cake rolled around and we were like shit we don't have time to make 40 pages <laughs> yeah. so let's split it up into two issues and um so that's, that's why it's one and two, but we kind of had a, you know, had some time to breathe and we're like, let's, you know, let's collect one and two into a single issue and for, you know, at least for reprints in the future. And then we've got more time now we can actually plan it out. We'll do two more issues. So it's still like the six issues, but it's, 
but it's three issues. But yeah, we've got uh, a new character planned, and um, you know they actually haven't really used the mech that the you know the book is named after. So so yeah, we'll we'll we have like a in a essentially the second issue is going to be like an away mission because like the the overall theme of the book was like JB was really into like mechs and kaiju, and it's like something I grew up with too. But I, I wasn't like super. I watched Power Rangers. That's about it. You know that and and Beetleborgs. Which I, Who I can't forget. I, I wish you could remember the plot line of Beetleborgs. was like but... a weird haunted house thing, and there was a guy that lived inside that looked like a vampire, I believe. And they and had like these. Like Jay Leno? Yeah, yeah, he was like a vampire <laughs> Jay Leno guy or something, and then they had those wristwatches that transformed him into the robots. <laughs> yeah, I that, wish that was streaming that was somewhere. Sense. I'm sure I could find it on YouTube, but I've been wanting to like check that out because somebody else brought that up on the show in the past couple years, and Amazing. I need to recheck it out to see if it's good. Probably not. Yeah, it's. I remember it, but I. I remember watching it, being really into it, but I, you know, I can't for the life of me remember any of the plot lines or anything like that. But so JB was like kind of coming from that angle and I'm like a huge Star Trek nerd. So I was like, I would love to put in some of those like Star Trek tropes. And so what we talked about was like, well, what if it was a, a mech, but it had like a crew complement of like 75, you know, Hell like yeah. 150 people. It was like a full starship that was like the shape of a... <laughs> A person. And uh, so that was kind of like the jumping off point. Like, like, that's actually what started our conversation around Daikaiju Team Alpha. Hey, do you feel like drawing 150 people in each issue? Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't yeah. love they're crowd in, scenes? The, they're all important. <laughs> yeah. I at, at first, you know, someone made a, a random comment one time that was like, the replicators that I drew in form in general and the replicators that I drew in, in Daikaiju Team Alpha look the same. They're like, oh, is it in the same universe? And I was like, well, no, it's not. I just draw this, you know, hole, this box in the wall, <laughs> the same in both of these issues. But it made me kind of interested. And I actually wrote out like six issues of a spinoff series that actually puts them both in the same universe. Okay. But like, so it's all written in the first two issues. I actually have thumbnails for, but I just have like, this is me in a nutshell. That's like all I love making the story. But when it comes to actually like sitting down and finally drawing it, I just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I mean, like, it's easy to come up with this shit, right? It's execution <laughs> that gets you there. Yeah, totally. So I have so many things that are just like drawn and planned out. There's another series called Amorphous Night, which is just something I really wanted to get people to contribute to. But it was a spirit trapped in a suit of armor that constantly changes. Oh, that's sick. Okay. The spirit changes or the armor changes? The armor changes. Okay. So it's just like light inside of a suit of armor. So the whole point was that like the, the setup is that Amorphous Night is trying to find the sorcerer that that cursed them into this armor. Mm-hmm. And that's like the only plot point. And and I was like, it'd be really fun to have people do their do like little side stories or, you know, main stories of them trying to track down this sorcerer. But they can draw the knight however they want. There's no like you have a main character that is essentially whatever you want it to be. And right. I actually have like a full story written and thumbnailed for it. And I've just I think it's been sitting in a notebook for like three years. I would love to do it. And JB was like, yeah, that sounds great. I would, I would contribute to that. And, but it's like, it's got to start at some point. So I think really, I just need to, this has actually been something that kind of you mentioned before, which is balancing work and printing, but it's mm-hmm. really balancing work and printing and making my own art. 
Right. So it's yeah. like, there are so many times when I'm like, I just don't want to publish at all for, mm-hmm. you know, like three years. I just want to work on my own stuff. But it's like, at that point, like I do enjoy the publishing. So it's like trying to find that happy balance where I'm not like overwhelming myself with books and still giving myself time to, to draw. I really want to like, <laughs> I don't know. I love making art. I want to keep doing it. <laughs> I don't want to, I feel like so many publishers, like especially Resograph publishers that I've that I've met are like, oh, once I started publishing, I just stopped making art. And, yeah, well, uh, I mean, it does kind of seem like that's, you know, it's one or the other, you know, like it, it's yeah. very rare. I mean, you know, you even look at you brought up Oily and, you know, this is not an indication or anything bad about Chuck. But, you know, he closed up once mm-hmm. he started focusing on making his own stuff. You know, usually yeah. you don't see that balance where somebody's a quote unquote full time printer because I feel like you do enough projects and small press to be considered full full time, you know, plus doing the actual work as well yeah Uh, this year like i've sort of my my new year's resolution is to uh i think i'll probably only release two books for other people maybe yeah and then other than that like i don't consider like 666 the 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 horror anthology like for other people it's definitely like my own project i've really wanted to make that happen for a while so it's like doing that in form in general and maybe working with jb on a, a daikaiju book like that seems so much more doable to just say like okay i'm going to do those two books and then i'm going to focus on my own stuff at least for this year yeah and luckily for eric i don't make comics that much anymore so he doesn't have to publish (laughs) any more of my work (laughs) so i'm doing him a favor actually yeah Yeah, seriously thanks jb yeah so when you wonder why jb's not working it's to lighten workloads on other people yes yeah um do you know the theme for the next issue is 666 do you want to let that out of the bag Oh yeah, it's it's money. Money. Okay. All right. Yeah. You keeping the same color scheme, the green and red? Yep. Cool. Green and red. Green, black, and red. And then I've already made the little sticker. It's a it's a six dollar bill. Oh you shit! You can see nice. three of the three of the sixes <laughs> on it. Hell yeah. So, do you have any contributors lined up that you want to you know talk about or not? Nah? Yeah. Uh, Pat Rooks is gonna. Hell be yeah. Nice. Pat, I think I got you that job, and if not, we're gonna say that I did. <laughs> I no, I'm being honest. I think I think you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by so, Gutter Boys. Nepo, he's a yeah. Nepo baby of the Gutter Boys. Yeah, so, we got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay, so we've got uh, Ali Tregoso in Chicago, who I did the um, I did a, a book called Dog and Pony Baby Fever with them, and uh, it's like a 3D renders done through Resograph, which was impossibly hard. It was, it was so tough to, <laughs> to print those books, but super fun. So I really want them to do a, a 3D uh, comic for um, 666. I think it would just be, I like the idea of having like really different styles and people who don't usually do horror. Like I know sure. Pat's done horror before, but you know, um, I think, you know, kind of mixing it up a little bit you know the first issue was bjorn minor here in in seattle their comic was about like someone who gets like a challenge to sleep in a haunted house and and yes. has sex with a ghost and it's it's like it doesn't have to be horror but it's like horror adjacent i don't know mm-hmm. i i love that about it and it's it's definitely the thing that is really looking into uh so bridget bilbo is gonna be on it hell too. yeah shout out bridget yes and Listen then, the yeah, and then um, Carlos B in um, in Portland. I reached out to them. They're gonna they're gonna contribute. There's two more people that I'm trying to follow up with and get like confirmations. 
right now. So at least four you. people have have, uh, have have signed up. So so not only are you making your own work, you're working full time, and you're a publisher. That's all risographs. You have to do it by hand. But yeah. you are also managing and editing an anthology series. <laughs> yeah. It feels Workaholic. like a You sleep. Do you have an Adderall script? <laughs> How are you dealing with the shortage? <laughs> I don't I don't sleep. That's the that's the problem. I just I'm perpetually giant bags under my eyes tired, but it's super mm-hmm. fun. I'm also like a karaoke enthusiast, which that doesn't happen early. So now when you say enthusiast, yeah. like are you like doing the costumes and entering, you know, contests and shit, or what do you mean? I didn't even know that was a thing. I just, I just do karaoke. <laughs> I just assume, like, you know, because there's like I, I think air he guitar just contests. Means he, he likes so. doing karaoke. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Hey, I love karaoke like too. But yeah, do you remember uh, the MTV show? Say what karaoke? I yeah, guess yeah. That was, yeah. So I feel like you know. But, no, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. There are people that are like that's their yeah. thing. That's what. Yeah, they do. it's like yeah. karaoke cosplay. Uh, well, it's just like I, I don't know if there's like leagues or whatever, but I I just feel like if there's like air guitar, you know, competition, surely there's oh. karaoke competitions, right? Yeah, surely. there's got to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people every every night at karaoke that treat it like it's a competition. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anybody famous that's gotten discovered in a karaoke bar? Surely there's a story there. Hmm. Isn't uh, I mean, isn't the <laughs> isn't the new lead singer of Journey? Oh no, they were in a Oh yeah, band. the Filipino guy. Um, he yeah. they found him in a karaoke bar. You're right. Yeah, hell yeah. He was just doing journey covers every night, and they just happened to walk in on that fateful night. I guess. So you never know. That's amazing. I think someone sent them like videos or something like that, like just oh. like YouTube videos of like, yo, you have to see this person, and they just like, yeah. I'm, but I don't know the the specifics. Yeah, I feel like at this point I've done it so much that I you know, usually people have like one or two songs that they go to, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to the point where I've realized that I like I've I had a rotation where a song will come up I'm like, oh, I haven't done that in like years. I forgot that that used to be in my rotation. And I've like tried so many things that, <laughs> that have like gone through a cycle. But also realizing that there is like tons of YouTube karaoke, like people make their own YouTube karaoke songs. So it's so fun. We have friends come over and we like set it up in the living room, too. That's sick. So what what are your go tos like? Do you ha- how many do you keep in the repertoire? <laughs> I mean, there's usually just like the one that's been there since the beginning, and I don't know why. I is Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Hell yeah! But it's because I learned all of the words from it because I, I my second year of college, I had roommates that were all seniors. I just kind of randomly decided to live with these people and. They would come home super wasted from the bar and just like scream Thunder Road like <laughs> every yes. night. And we almost got evicted from our apartment because over of Thunder that. Road. Yeah, over Thunder Road. <laughs> and it, we were so lucky because it turned out that one of my roommates who wasn't all who's not responsible for like the, the drunken singing worked at the courthouse and was able to get the eviction. Um uh, dismissed and as long as we promised not to do it again i say we but like i was not a part of it i wasn't old enough to even go to the bar so i wasn't but involved. your name was on the lease so we yeah exactly yeah so damn so it'd be uh, so sick if like the landlord showed up and it's just working class bruce springsteen he's like wait what are you all singing no 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 we ain't <laughs> evicting you <laughs> wink uh yeah so do you have anything lined up in the near future i know we talked about 666 uh the last issue dropped issue uh three of that is in the works anything else i mean I'm, i started a uh like a web 
serialized comic with my mm. brother-in-law. Where are you posting that at? It's on it's on the really easy press Instagram. It's just called Moon Rocks, and I've only posted the first like page. You ever smoke but, Moon Rocks? Uh, no, I haven't. That's yeah. the that's the analogy there. It's it's our take on uh, uh, weed smoke and aliens that I feel like is a is a super common trope. Yeah, from the '90s, I feel like I feel like that was like you know you just walk into what Spencer's gifts and they would just have the black light posters. Yeah, our our take on it is is a little darker. Our take on it is just that it's aliens who grind up other aliens to smoke them as moon rocks, and they find out that the best aliens are humans that are already high. Hell yeah! It's like the movie How High, where they smoke Benjamin Franklin's finger, or they ground him up, and that's how they pass all their tests. I don't know if you've seen How High, but great. <laughs> I, I haven't. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how they pass college. Is uh. They're well, they're their smart friend. They smoke his like ashes and shit and they like grow a weed plant with it. And then they like run out of it or somebody steals the plant. I forget what it is. And they like dig up Benjamin Franklin and there's like a scene where they roll his finger up and try to smoke it. It's pretty gross, actually, but funny nonetheless. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's about it, though. That's, I mean, that's the only other thing I'm working on. And that's just meant to be fun. Just kind of writing it with my brother. Hell yeah. So I do want to ask you, because you've had feet in both scenes, uh, Chicago as well as, uh, you know, Seattle now, who wins? And as far as comics, you know, we, we add, you know, who's got the better scene? I think Chicago has more people doing mm-hmm. it. So it's like, I, you know, and, and I think it's like, I don't know, I, it's hard to describe. I feel like Chicago has more people doing like traditional comics. Like there are people doing like sort of outsider comics too, but. I feel like there is a ton of, uh, yeah, there's more, so there's more variety, obviously. But yeah, Seattle has a really good scene. Like, even though it's like a quarter the size of Chicago, there's still a ton of people making comics here. There's, you know, the Fantagraphics bookstore is here. So there's definitely a scene around that. And there's, a you know, a few really good Resograph publishers as well as, you know, Fantagraphics. So pretty much all of the West Coast, I feel like, is, is pretty good for, for, for comics, you know, Going down to like L.A. and Portland and San Francisco, there's like a really big scene. So and then you go up too to like Vancouver and there's a bunch of people in Canada making comics, too. So it all kind of like I feel like the Pacific Northwest feels like one cohesive like area. So that's mm-hmm. like Chicago, you know, if so in that way, they feel pretty similar. Yeah, I just feel like when I was in Chicago, the the people I found making comics were like there's like a, a scene, like a historic sort of like underground comics scene right in, in Chicago. And I definitely felt that. I felt like it kind of permeated some of the things where it was like people doing really funny, like, you know, Carolyn, I feel like does pretty traditional comics, but with like their very specific voice. And I feel like that feels really Chicago to me. For sure. No, I I get that in their work for sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, I guess let's wrap shit up here. Uh, Where can people find you online? Uh, So we're at reallyeasy.press. That's the website. And... uh, really.easy.press on Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook too, but I never look at Facebook. I don't think I've opened that <laughs> app in like... Yeah, so if you know any boomers that are really into Rizograph, <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to them. Yeah, I get like like six likes when I when I, uh, when I I do the, you know, hey, I post it on Instagram, I'm going to post over to Facebook at the same time. Everyone Dude, it's crazy. Watching. It's crazy how like little it is compared to other social media feeds. I guess Facebook really wants you to pay for those ads. Yeah, totally. You know, you can you can find my three reels that I've made on Instagram, 
really trying to game the the algorithm right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, move yeah, over the, to TikTok. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what the algorithm and Instagram's trying to do is just make everyone do TikTok. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. It really totally. sucks. I hope it phases out, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I feel like it's not make everyone do TikTok. It's like make TikTok you. irrelevant so that way they can either absorb it and buy it or I don't know. It's all it's all a game to just like try to get people to stop using new things and just use one of the conglomerate apps. How do we change the intention of our own app? Yeah. <laughs> by by forcing our own consumers to to utilize it in a different way it was never intended to. Well, uh, yeah. They'll probably be able to take over because I think isn't Joe Brandon and Co. trying to uh make TikTok illegal in America? Yeah, that's yeah, not gonna happen. It, yeah. <laughs> that's just not gonna happen. I'm sorry, that's not happening. <laughs> Maybe they just need to start using it and then everyone will think it's lame. Yeah, right. Just like Joe Biden dancing. Yeah, how dare uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> The market, the free market will decide, right? That's how that works. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Anyone you want to shout out? I mean, I guess I, I could do some uh, some Seattle shout outs, which is just uh, Myra Lara. Uh, yeah. I mean, people, I've published most of the people that I've <laughs> wanted to work with. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Larson uh, Maxwell. Uh, and then uh, who else? Who else? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's like uh, three people. All right, three yeah. people. Yep. Hey, that's that's good. That's good. Concise uh, list. Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Eric, for finally coming on the show. It's been a... Um, again, we always say this, but this is, uh, you know, someone we've been meaning to have on the show for a while for obvious reasons. Man, I appreciate uh, so you having me. Yeah, it's yeah, good to sure. finally have you great on. great to yeah, have you on for real. Uh, and uh, yeah, so until next time, stay gutter. <laughs>